It's day five of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Welcome back, friends. Happy Sunday if you are studying with us in real time. Thank you for the grace of letting me take a Sabbath day. I hope you were able to study. For those of you who did not see my post, I actually did provide notes on the Sabbath day so that you could do the studying on your own. That is just another tool for you to be able to use. And hopefully it was helpful for those of you who went ahead and took a look at those. Otherwise, I always encourage you, please continue to study on the Sabbath day. And we always meet back either on Sunday or sometime I will double up the lessons on Friday as well, if I'm able to get ahead of the game. So today we are in Job chapters 10 through 13, and Job is continuing to pour out his frustration before God, before we hear from his third friend, Zophar, who's even more cruel. And his message remains consistent with the other two friends in saying that Job is suffering because he's full of sin. But before we get into that, I did want to give you a heads up that we do have a big announcement coming up for some extra resources. Also, if you are in our email community, you will get the announcement first. So if you want to be a part of that, go ahead and head over to our website, heartdive.org and sign up for our newsletter so that you can always have first access as to what is going on behind the scenes at Heart Dive. Also, just asking for extra grace now that we are a week in to our Bible study. Please know, for those of you who are new, that this is basically a one-woman show. I'm a one-man band, especially when it comes to studying, filming, editing. Now, I have great people who are on my team helping me behind the scenes, though. We've got people running our Facebook group. I've got Holly behind the scenes of all the tech stuff, and she is doing incredible things, blowing my mind with our website and the newsletter and some of the resources that are coming out. But again, they're all volunteering their time, giving so graciously out of the goodness and the kindness of their hearts. So we just ask for extra grace, especially as we are testing out new things, because our heart really is to be able to spread the gospel, to help you guys out. But we also are still very human. So thank you so much for that. Another announcement, I have been getting tons of questions about my color coding process. So if you didn't know, I actually don't color code. I don't have any specific meaning behind the colors that I choose. I simply highlight until the thought changes in my brain so that whenever I write notes, my notes will coincide with that particular scripture. And it's easy for me to find it on my notes page. So that's the only process I have my highlighting. But I figured now was a good time to go ahead and point out that in my Bible, if you look at the notes and you see these little stars, that is where I say, oh, I've got a note for that. So for instance, here, chapter 14, verse 14, I'll look over here, same color, 14, 14, there it is. So it's just easier for me to find by color and also knowing when it occurs. And if you do see the little hearts, that's where we have heart checks. And this is for my own good. I mean, remember, this is my Bible and I do this for myself, but because I am offering my notes as a tool for you to use, I figured I better explain what these little things are in here. And speaking of my Bible, I apologize if you can't read my writing. <laughs> I know some people are like, I can't read it. I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm so glad you're back. If you are, could you please hit that like button for us? Be a part of giving back, helping this ministry to continue to flourish and grow because we believe that God is doing amazing things through the reading of the word. And as more of us gather to do that, we're going to cast out the darkness of the enemy by bringing the light into the world. So I'm excited 
excited for it. I hope you guys are too. Also, please make sure you are subscribed to either our channel or our podcast. Hit that notification bell and you can always join us in our Facebook group if you want to continue the conversation. We've got a great community over there of people helping each other out and bringing more resources and more encouragement on the daily. Otherwise, I'm ready to get into the word. I hope you are too. So let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done, not ours, not what we think is best, but your good and perfect will for our lives. Here on earth, as it is in heaven, you've already planned it out, you've mapped it out, and so we are fully trusting that whatever you have in store, God, is the best thing for us. Please give us this day our daily bread, our daily manna, our nourishment, our spiritual guidance, everything that we need to be able to get through this day, this next week. Lord, you are speaking specifically to every single one of us. So I pray that our ears will be tuned into your frequency, Lord. Please help us to hear your voice. Even if it's just one single whisper, one single word, may we grab onto it with everything within us, Lord, to meditate on it, journal on it, pray on it. Even if we don't understand what it means, oh God, I pray that we will have the faith to be able to open up ourselves to see what it is that you are trying to speak. Also, forgive us of our sins, Lord, anything that we have done, anything that we have not done that we should have done. I pray that you will reveal that to us. Forgive us, Lord. May we come to you in confession and repentance and walk away from things, Lord, that are not fruitful in our lives. Help us also to forgive those who have sinned against us. Please do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep the enemy far away. We give you full permission to put up those fences and those boundaries, Lord. We love you so much. For yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here in chapter 10, Job is continuing his plea to God. This plea meaning he is appealing to God's character. In this case here, he starts off by appealing to his compassion. And he's using legal language here. So basically telling God, please give me a fair trial. So he says, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. And of course, that word contend, meaning why, God, are you fighting against me? But I love the way that Charles Spurgeon put it. He talks about what God might be doing behind his contention, behind his resistance. And so he says here, God will contend with us to show us his power to be able to uphold us. He wants us to enter into fellowship of Jesus's sufferings. Perhaps there is some secret sin that we are harboring, and he wants to reveal that in us and through us. Maybe there's some pride and he needs to humble us. Maybe he's trying to develop our character, particularly in the area of grace. Maybe we have not yet awakened to our own fallen condition. Maybe he's trying to test our earnestness. Maybe we don't thoroughly understand the meaning behind his grace and salvation. And so sometimes he might contend with us. It doesn't mean that every time we have a trial and every time we suffer, it is God saying, I'm against you right now. That's not what it means. But There are some situations where he might allow that contention so that he can reveal things through us. It is always for our good, though. It is always out of love. So if this is scaring you, if reading the book of Job scares you into thinking, man, if I get closer to God, he's going to send the devil to me. No, God doesn't send the devil to us. He might allow him to go only because he knows that it is for our good. He's not going to let the devil come just to simply destroy us. So keep that in mind. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So if you are feeling fearful, that already is the enemy trying to whisper into your ear and say, don't have faith in God. He's just going to send me to come your way. 
our God is the God of peace. He's a God of love. And so He is going to protect you. He is going to be with you in every hard time of life. And if you have that faith and if you hold on to Him, He is going to only strengthen you through these times, just the same way you will see He does with Job. So let this be something that encourages you and doesn't make you fearful. Verse three, does it seem good to you to oppress and to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees, the way that his shallow friends see him? Are your days as the days of man, or your years as a man's years, that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin, although you know that I am not guilty, and there is none to deliver out of your hand? So now he is appealing to his omniscience, or his ability to know all things. Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. So here he's appealing to God the Creator. And even though he is feeling this way, we've got to say, hey, Job, God has actually been the one who has kept you from being destroyed. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? So here he is recognizing the miracle of life by the Creator. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. So he's contrasting God's loving nature and his judgment here. So here he starts off by talking about his omniscience and the fact that he's a creator, but then he goes on to speak about his judgment. You have granted me life and steadfast love and your care has preserved my spirit. This is truth. And this is a beautiful statement right here. Yet these things you hid in your heart, I know that this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. So he's like, if I am indeed guilty, then so be it. Let me deal with this. But he knows he's not. If I am in the right, I cannot lift up my head, for I am filled with disgrace and look on my affliction. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me. So he kind of feels like prey, like a lion, and again, work wonders against me. You renew your witnesses against me and increase your vexation toward me. You bring fresh troops against me. So here he really feels like he is on the other side of enemy lines. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Then cease and leave me alone that I may find a little cheer. So he is saying, I need you to leave me alone. But the sad thing is it is because God hasn't left him alone that he hasn't actually been destroyed and simply left to the devil in all of his ways. And we need to have grace here on Job because it's so easy for us to be like, hello, Job, God's with you. God is for you. But Job doesn't know this. All he knows is his circumstances. He doesn't know what took place in heaven. Before I I go and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow. So remember in chapter three, when he talked about dying, he was saying that Sheol would be a place of comfort and relief. But now he is saying that it is a land of darkness and deep shadow. So we can see him kind of flip-flopping between the way he perceives different things. The land of gloom, like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick darkness. So I find it interesting that while Job is responding to his friends, he's actually appealing to God rather than trying to defend himself to his friends. And to me, this shows how much more important God's word is and God's purpose matters than the words and opinions of man. Imagine if we all stopped mid-fight and thought about this instead of biting back immediately, you know, go to the Lord in prayer instead. Job knows that he can because he recognizes God as his creator and his defender. So heart check, 
When someone comes against you with an accusation or judgment, do you immediately go into defense mode or do you go to your defender? And now we hear the rudest of friends, possibly the youngest, Zophar, speaking and fighting back against Job, or at least contending with his overly simplistic and dogmatic ways. He is going to be misapplying theology all over this. Then Zophar the Naamathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men, and when you mock, shall no one shame you? My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in God's eyes. Uh, Zophar, he did not say that. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> but oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you, and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. Well, God did speak, maybe not directly to Job, but he did say that Job was the most righteous man on the earth at this point, for he is manifold in understanding. What does this mean here? Well, this is an unknown meaning, actually. It suggests that perhaps his wisdom has an earthly and a heavenly perspective. So like it's twofolded because, of course, we have our own perspective here on earth, but God's perspective of our life here is so much different than ours. And so that may have been what he was saying. For know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. And I was like, wow, he's basically telling him, you're getting way less than you actually deserve, Job. So it seems to me that he is overhearing Job's declarations of innocence. He ain't having it anymore. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than the heaven. What can you do? So he's like, how dare you question him, Job? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Well, this is some truth here that he is declaring God's ways truly are higher than heaven and wider and deeper and more broad than anything that we could ever imagine. If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? And this is in reference to what he said in chapter 9, verse 12. And you will see that between the friends that they'll kind of use words against each other. For he knows worthless men. When he sees iniquity, will he not consider it? But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. So that's our way of saying when pigs fly is when a stupid man is actually going to have wisdom. So he's basically saying, Job, you you're dumb and you're not going to get any wisdom until that donkey over there has a human baby. Verse 13, if you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. So he's like, you know, if you actually get it right, you will be able to lift your hands in prayer and praise. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and let not injustice dwell in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. So he is implying that evil is in the home of Job or it has been. And that's why why he's suffering this. You will forget your misery. You will remember it as waters that have passed away. So all of this misery will be water under the bridge if you just repent, Job. Now there is some truth even here. You will forget your misery. Now that doesn't mean that we will never experience sadness or hard times again, but there is that inexplicable joy that comes whenever you do receive Christ as your Savior. And your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning, and you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. Again, all of this very true, but of course being misapplied to Job. You will lie down and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail. 
All way of escape will be lost to them, and their hope is to breathe their last. So he's basically telling Job that he is hopeless. So in the end, Zophar has taken some of the most beautiful truths that are meant for edification and nourishment, and he's turned them into bitter poison through that misapplication and the marring of this scripture. Because God's ways are higher and broader and deeper and wider than ours, because God will give us hope and security and rest and freedom whenever we do repent. But that doesn't mean that we're going to live a life without suffering. It just means that He will be there in the midst of it. I'm going to keep on saying it. I'm going to repeat myself because I feel like we have to get this in our spirit. If we teach anything otherwise, then we are the ones misleading others into thinking that there's no need for faith. So heart check. Are you able to look past your own understanding and trust that God's ways are indeed higher and greater than your own? Chapter 12, Job replies, then Job answered and said, so he is kind of rejecting their counsel here, their counsel. No doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. And I was like, wow, Job is getting a little savage here. Like he's being real sarcastic with them, basically saying, you know what? When you die, wisdom is going to go to the grave with you because you guys are the smartest people in the world. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? So he's telling his friends here, the things that you guys are spouting off, everybody knows this stuff. You're just speaking Proverbs. You're just repeating stuff like a parrot. I am a laughingstock to my friends. I, who called to God and he answered me, a just and a blameless man, am a laughingstock. So he's like, my life used to be good. God used to answer me. And you guys are sitting over here laughing at me. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. Now, I had to stop on this verse. I had to consult several different commentaries. I had to look at different translations because I just could not get through my mind what in the world he meant here. And really, no commentaries had good, solid reads on what this was saying. But in the end, I think he was saying, It's easy for you without suffering to be able to look at me and point fingers and say, oh yeah, something must be wrong over there. And we can tend to do that. In fact, my husband showed me a video yesterday on social media of a woman getting struck by lightning. And he said, she must have done something real wrong. And I was like, oh, how dare you say that? I knew a pastor's daughter, like a six-year-old little girl who got struck by lightning. And so then I started to explain to him what we're reading in Job. And I was like, you can't say that. You cannot look at someone's circumstances and assume that their life is full of sin because of the mishappenings that are going on in their lives. Verse six, the tents of robbers are at peace and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. So he's like, listen, there are criminals out there who are living pretty cushy lives, but ask the beasts and they will teach you and the birds of the heavens and they will teach you or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you and the fish of the sea will declare to you. So he's like, even the animals know that y'all are saying things real elementary. They even get it. Who among all these things does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? Now, mind you, this is the only place throughout these poetic readings that the word Yahweh is used or the name Yahweh, I should say. In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes foods? 
So he is describing discernment here. Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. And take note of this verse because there is going to be a rebuttal in reference to this here. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. And if he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. So he is rebuking Zophar here in the fact that Zophar was saying that Job didn't have an idea as to how great and mighty God really is. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped and judges. He makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. Now, all of this is true once again. So he is showing us a lot of really great heartbeats of God right here. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away of the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. So he's declaring God's power and might over those who are strong, wise, over material things, over man, their minds, over the wise, over rulers, those who are eloquent, strong, over darkness, over nations. God is in control. That's what he is saying. He's declaring it right here. So heart check. After reading through this section, how can this perspective of God's power change the way that you navigate through life? And here he continues in chapter 13, Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God, and he will. As for you, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. So this whitewashing is referring to when they would put white paint over graves and they would do this so that when people were traveling to go offer their sacrifices, they wouldn't accidentally rub up against the graves and become unclean. Or it's also in reference to the way that you would put a whitewash over something that was dirty to make it look clean and look pure and look pretty. So he is saying, you guys are over here trying to whitewash me with lies. You're trying to make yourselves look good by lying about my character. And when he calls them worthless physicians, he's basically saying, all of these little diagnoses that you guys are giving to me, this is malpractice here. Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. You know, you all would be wise if you just shut your mouths. Hear now my argument and listen to the pleadings of my lips. So again, getting a little savage here. He's like, I need you guys to shut up. Did I just say a bad word? Is that a bad word? I know my, I probably when my daughter was five, she would have told me I was saying a bad word. Will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? So he is saying, you guys are actually offending God here. You're trying to act like defense lawyers, but you are misrepresenting your client. Will you show partiality toward him? Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when he searches you out? Or can you deceive him as one deceives man? So are you prepared for God to hold you accountable with all these things you're saying? He will surely rebuke you if in secret you show partiality, which they are showing partiality, particularly they are showing partiality to themselves. 
Will not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall upon you? So they are lacking the fear of God at this point. Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. So all of this, quote, wisdom you guys are trying to dish out here is all worthless. Let me have silence and I will speak. So I don't know if they were kind of trying to interject. I'm sure they were. If you really think about a typical argument, we're always like, you know, barking back at one another. And let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Now this word slay, I mean, it is tossed around in a positive way nowadays, right? I mean, it signifies our ability to master something. We'll say things like slay the day or slay. But here, Job is using it in a very literal sense. He feels as though God is literally trying to kill him. But the beautiful thing is that he still declares his trust in God regardless of feeling this way. And Charles Spurgeon has said that at times of slaying are actually good times. He says that it is where real faith is created and existing faith is affirmed. We actually grow in our faith during these times by being shown that our faith is not only being grown just because of something that we are gaining from it. So heart check, in hearing this, are you able to view times of slaying as good times? And this should bring to mind the fact that Jesus was slain for us. So even more so, we should be able to trust in him. Verse 16, this will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. So he is not going to allow any hypocrite to get away with this. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. So he's saying, I will die if it is left up to me and I am not able to defend myself. Only grant me two things. Then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not dread of you terrify me. And when he says this dread of you, he's meaning the dread of not only just God himself, but what God will do. Then call and I will answer or let me speak and you reply to me. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. So please show me what I've done wrong. And so he is allowing for the possibility that maybe he has done something wrong here. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? So this is a Hebrew idiom here indicating the absence of God's favor and blessing when he says hiding your face. And he is really longing for that connection with God. He keeps alluding to it in everything that he says. Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. So it seems as though Job thinks that perhaps he's overdue for punishment for maybe some past sins, since there is nothing he can think of that he might currently be guilty of. And we can sometimes find ourselves in this place of worrying about unknown or unconfessed sin in our lives. But 1 John 1.9 says that when we confess our sins, God is faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So heart check. Do you find yourself worrying about past or unconfessed sin? We've got to remember that the enemy wants to hold you back. And the best way for him to do that is by keeping you anchored in your past. So don't let him do it. When you confess, when you repent, 
all sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. So again, he's feeling very fenced in and limited here. Man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. And of course, Job is actually living this out, rotting away like a moth-eaten cloth. So even though it is hidden underneath all of this distress and anguish and even sometimes what seems like complaining from Job, he actually recognizes that God is so much greater than him. And he honors that and he longs to be able to be with him and to be in communion with him and in relationship with him like he was before, which I think is such a beautiful and admirable thing that we can look at in Job. Now, before we pray, I do want to get into some deep dive questions for you to ponder this week. In what ways were you able to see God's heartbeat throughout this reading, and does it challenge or affirm your understanding of who God is? Secondly, how does Job's response influence the way that you view God's justice? Number three, what are your expectations of God in the way that He should respond to suffering? Number four, how would you describe God's power and might to someone? Ooh, good stuff to be thinking about right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a good and compassionate and loving God you are. Thank you for allowing us to be able to come to you in complete honesty and rawness the way that Job did. Please help us to see your heart in all things, Lord. Help us, especially in those times of suffering. We recognize that there will be times of contention, but we hold on to the promise that you are behind the scenes working it out for our good, even when we can't see it. But I pray that if you are trying to reveal something to us, oh God, in that wrestling, that our eyes will be open to see it. You have indeed granted us life and favor, and you continue to preserve our spirit. And so as long as we are here, Lord, I pray that your purpose in our lives will prevail. Thank you so much for protecting us in mind, in our body, and in our spirits. We recognize today, Lord, that your ways are higher than the heavens, it is deeper than the seas. It's longer and more broad than anything that our eyes can see. And your wisdom has no limit while ours does. So forgive us, Lord, for the times that we thought that we knew better than you and we found ourselves frustrated in our despair. Help us to trust in your goodness and in your purpose for us. Forgive us, Lord, where we may have misunderstood or misapplied your word. May we never use scripture to run people over. I pray, God, that we will never twist others' words to make ourselves feel better or to make them look foolish, but rather always cover everything we say in love and grace. Help us to be more empathetic toward those who may be suffering or may be dealing with things that we know not of. We see and declare your power and your might over all things, our sovereign God. I pray that we will see you more and more in our everyday life as we look around at nature and even when we open up the news in all things, let us see your face. And I pray, God, that we will be people who represent you well so that others can see you in us. Forgive us for the times that our character did not reflect that. And I thank you for forgiving us and cleansing us of all unrighteousness. I pray that we will not stay stuck in our past, but we will move forward in your grace. Help us to remain steadfast in the hard times. So we declare today, just as Job did, that no matter what, we will trust in you. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. 
None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.